Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. Got the whole crew with us on this Wednesday night. National Signing Day episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. And, uh, fellas, we got a lot to talk about with what Georgia has accomplished on the first day of the signing period. If you missed it, and if you did, I guess you were under a rock because it was pretty wild. 28 signees for Georgia, as I mentioned, that secured the number one class, according to 24-7 Sports. The third time that that has happened in the Kirby Smart era, Georgia signs three five-stars, chief among them five-star safety K.J. Bolden, who we will talk in depth about in a little bit. But a very successful day for Georgia. We really didn't know what we were getting into with this day. We thought, hey, the hay is pretty much in the barn. And uh, for the most part, that was the case, save one really, really big flip. Ben, I'm going to start with you. Just give me your immediate reaction, your thoughts on how this signing day went for Georgia and the halt that they brought in. Well, to your point, it was more or less an uneventful signing day because Georgia had 27 commitments coming in. Kirby Smart mentioned it today. It's the most from a commitment standpoint that they felt they had taken care of, you know, this early in the cycle since he's been here. 27 guys committed. They all signed, I think, before noon or right around noon. So they were really in the class, accounted for early on, and all the eyes turned to 1 p.m. at Buford High School for K.J. Bolden, which we started to hear over the last couple of days that there was some intrigue there, that maybe there was a reason for me to be there. So I went. And, uh, yeah, that was a very exciting signing day moment. I think I alluded to this in the primer that I wrote at the beginning of the week. We weren't really expecting any surprises. It felt like everything had sort of been figured out. But we also know that Kirby Smart has a tendency to never give up until things are signed. And K.J. Bolden was obviously a guy that he'd recruited for a really long time. I know that we're going to talk about him more in depth. But, you know, just an interesting signing day because there really was only one piece of excitement or question that was out there. And it obviously turned very positively in Georgia's favor. So I think that when you leave this signing day, Georgia folks are going to leave feeling like it was a resounding success because there were absolutely no headaches no concerns whatsoever from the 27 they signed. And then the one question mark that was out there, it turned into a very happy result for people in Athens. Looking at the class, I think it's right around 315 points, according to 24-7 Sports. Very successful uh, grouping. Another number one class, as I mentioned, for Kirby. Uh, Kip, what were your thoughts on how today played out and what the Bulldogs were able to accomplish? Well, I think this is my... 18th signing day so far and um yeah i think you know every single signing day it it takes a couple years off off your life um it's it's just time goes by at a different pace the news comes at a different pace um we are kind of pushed to the the limit a little bit in different ways every single time and you know, it's it's always interesting just to look back at each experience because I, I still say this one was unique. And as we mentioned, just the fact that we were just watching guys come in, you know, the, the entire class, and there was one prospect out there. There was one guy basically being actively recruited, which I think it's probably selling Georgia short because when you have the number one recruiting class in the country – uh, it probably means that there were other programs still trying to get your commitments, you know, in the, in the final hours. So let's not sell it short on the the boring guys who are already committed, you know, their letters of intent coming in. Because, I, again, uh, Georgia just flipped a five-star uh, who was committed since August, uh, you know, to Florida State. That if there's not proof that, it, you know, every single second counts in recruiting, I think that's it. Um, but I think overall, it's just, uh, 
I guess another reminder that, you know, maybe the, you know, Kirby Smart era isn't on the downward slope that some people thought uh, over the last couple of weeks, maybe, you know, the last couple of days, hours, um, Georgia's demise, you know, I, I guess it's been a little bit exaggerated, but uh, he reloaded. And it, it is a reminder that Kirby Smart's still a closer. He's still an elite recruiter. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about, Obviously, the the big five star addition to the class some more here in the next couple of minutes. But overall, from top to bottom, I, I just think that you know it's it's a really interesting class, especially when you see that you know even today's edition only gave Georgia a second top ten player in state. It's just a, again, Kirby says that you know he doesn't really believe in borders, and uh, this is another one of those groups that kind of proves that point. Yeah, I, I think Georgia's demise was greatly exaggerated. And it's sort of funny, you know, even if they would not have gotten KJ Bolden, it would have been, you know, probably still the non class, even if it wasn't number one, still a super, super talented class. And then they kind of add the cherry on top. You know, I think as someone who has followed this program for a long time and, and all of us who cover it now, and for the fans too, you know, it's, it's easy to get spoiled on that. But what an accomplishment. I mean, that, you know, save. You know, even before the KJ Bolden decision, for what they were able to do, and uh, it's it's sort of funny, you know. By that like noon hour has been talked about, we were kind of looking around like, okay, there was like a brief period there where uh, Christopher Jones was the only guy who didn't sign, and we're like, all right, is this sort of piece? You know, is anything going on? That nope, you know, he signs, everything's good to go. I mean, they had this thing wrapped up, and Kirby mentioned that uh, when he did his press conference, which. Uh, Ben and I will talk about in a, in a few minutes, but let's let's dive into what was the biggest piece of the early signing period, and it was Kay Bolton. There had been buzz in the days leading up to Wednesday that you know he may not have been totally secure and, and totally committed to that little ledge. Uh, ben, you had been sharing with the uh, folks over on the junkyard that there was an opportunity there, and uh, you were on in for the decision. So I'll just start with you, Ben. What was it like being there? You got to talk to KJ among some of the other reporters. What did you take away from how he got to this point and how Georgia was able to land him? Well, you know, he was asked specifically the question, when did you know that it was Georgia? And he said that it was three weeks ago. He said that really about three weeks ago was when for him, he started to realize what had been weighing on him since August was that, Kirby Smart was the head coach that he had the closest relationship with. Even dating back to before his decision to choose Florida State, he acknowledged that Kirby Smart, and you know, we had this quote in a, in a story today, he's just different. It, there is something different about the relationship that he has with Kirby Smart compared to everyone else. And Kirby brought it up today when he was talking about, you know, he learned from Andrew Thomas's family that consistency is the most important thing to winning out in these recruitments. And I think that, Kirby Smart's been around long enough and he is successful enough as a recruiter to know that just because a guy commits on August 5th does not mean that he's going to be signing on December 20th. And I think that he was so consistent with the Bolden family. I know that he set up weekly conversations with the Boldens to make sure that they were in constant conversation with one another. With KJ, the moment that he committed to Florida State, he was on the phone with him the next day saying, hey, respect your decision. I'm going to keep recruiting you because that's what we do here at the University of Georgia. And that's what he did. He really never gave up. They went in home a couple of weeks ago. But I mean, if, if KJ's timeline is to be believed of around three weeks or so ago is when he really started to feel in his heart that he was going to be making a switch from Florida State to Georgia. That means he probably went into those in-home visits a couple of weeks ago, feeling like Georgia was going to be the spot. You know, he just has such a strong connection with Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp specifically. He mentioned the Fran Brown element to it too. And we all called this out when he took that official visit to Syracuse. There were some folks that were saying any weekend that you're keeping him away from Georgia is a good thing. I think the fact that he was going out of state to a place that we all knew he was never going to be signing with. And he was having conversations with a former Georgia defensive backs coach. The only reason he's there is because of the connections that he had with him through Georgia. And you know, Fran, KJ said it to me today. Fran Brown was recruiting me. You know, he was approaching it as if I was a potential person that could sign for him at Syracuse. But the reality is they had conversations 
that made him realize Fran Brown's not just pitching me on Georgia. He's not just telling me this anymore as someone whose job it is to sell you on Georgia. He's telling me about the benefits of Georgia through the lens of someone who is now somewhere completely different. And so I think there were a lot of factors in play. I think really what it comes down to ultimately Kirby smart built a relationship with this guy and his family since his ninth grade year. And the fact that he was as consistent as he was through the entirety of it, all the way up, you know, I think Kirby Smart was probably as surprised as anyone that he didn't get a commitment from KJ Bolden over the summer. But the fact that he stayed true to everything that he always said that he would and everything that he always did with KJ on the recruiting trail, I think it made all of the difference. Um, One thing that really stood out to me about his dad, I know I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but one thing that really stood out to me about his dad, I talked with his dad after the, the ceremony and he said he, he grew up as a Florida State fan. We've heard a lot about KJ saying that Florida State was always his dream school. A big reason for that was because his dad you know, grew up as a, as a Florida State fan as well. But his dad said that since the beginning of the process, he's always told KJ that the sensible, safe pick was going with Georgia. And I asked him point blank. I said, why? I mean, it sounds like a stupid question, but why do you feel that way? And he said... Because when you're playing safety in Kirby Smart's defense, you know that you're not the only guy that has a chance to go to the NFL. All 10 guys around you, they have a chance to go to the NFL as well. And I think when it really came down to it, there were other factors at play here. I'm not going to be naive and say, you know, NIL in this world is not part of these decisions. But I think when you start thinking about the long-term developmental aspect, you start talking about NFL opportunities, I think they saw that in Athens as a sure thing more so than they did other places, not just Florida state Auburn as well. And so I think that a lot of factors played into this decision coming to where it is. But I think that when you really look back on it, dating back to the beginning of the summer, ultimately this thing ended where I think we all thought it did. It just took a very extended road bump there from August to December for it to finally get here. Definitely a huge win for Georgia, and I did want to mention part of it, one, you get him, he's super talented, and two, you don't have to play against him. You know, Auburn was one of the teams pushing for him. I did read Hugh Freeze had a quote, did not name K.J. Bolden, but was talking about, you know, someone they were recruiting. Two days ago, we were told, I'm coming, I'm coming, today it changes. You know, everybody sort of thinks that was about K.J. Bolden. You know, we, we won't know for sure, but, you know, you've got that piece of it that, you know, you kept Auburn from getting a guy that was super, super talented. I did want to to read in full Kirby's quote on KJ. Ben mentioned it a little bit. Um, You know, he was just, just asked, Hey, give us the short version of KJ's recruitment. And Kirby said, I mean, we did what we do on every kid. We recruited. I met KJ Bolden and his mom, his ninth grade year in the indoor and sat and talked to them for 45 minutes and just had a great appreciation for her and him. He was a young kid then. He actually had worked out at our camp as a wideout, and we knew that he was a really talented young man. And from that point on, I mean, I bet he's been on this campus 20 or 30 times between coming over here for different events and seven-on-sevens. This is the piece of it that I thought was really interesting, and this is what uh, Ben had brought up uh, a few minutes ago. But there was no different recruitment for KJ. It was just consistent and a mutual respect probably is the right word, you know. I reached out to him when he committed elsewhere and told him that I had a lot of respect for him and we weren't going to stop recruiting him and that we thought this was the best place for him. I've always learned. Andrew Thomas's parents taught me that consistency is the key. We were very consistent every time KJ was here, and you know what? It worked out. It doesn't always work out, but it worked out in this case, and we're not going to change our method of how we go about things. And I do think Kirby's being genuine. There's tons of guys that they go after hard that, you know, ultimately they're not able to land. Uh, But I think that that consistency did make an impression on KJ Bolden, on his family. And I think it's a big reason why today he is a Georgia Bulldog. Uh, Kip, what are your thoughts just on how this all played out and the fact that Georgia was able to land such a talented guy? We haven't even talked about this. The Buford curse is finally broken. They have, they have signed a Buford Wolf once again. Yeah, it, it, it took everything they had to get it done. The curse is over. I think, you know, really, if we're, if we're talking about consistency, I mean, it, it's Kirby Smart. He's that consistent factor. He's a DB, DB coach. And I think in recruiting, he's always going to have that edge, especially with safeties, having played the position at a high level. 
And you, you just look at his tenure at Georgia. He's, you know, having to replace a secondary coach for the fourth time. Um, and obviously this, I mean, it's almost always happens this time of the recruiting cycle. Um, three of those four guys got promotions, you know, Mel Tucker got, you know, got a promotion. Charlton Warren, um, went to Indiana as the DC, uh, Jamala die is the only one I technically didn't get a promotion went to Miami. And obviously now, now Fran Brown going to Syracuse as a head coach, uh, he's used to having to replace that position coach at this time of the year. And yet you just look at, you know, Georgia's secondary recruiting it, you know, it doesn't take a hit. Obviously, having Will Muschamp on staff now helps a little bit. You have another guy back there uh, who coaches DBs, has experience there. But still, you're bringing in Dante Williams from USC right there on sign day. You don't have that connection with these guys. Um, so when you talk about consistency, it's going to be Kirby Smart. Always, you know, he's hands-on in recruiting still. He still has, has that connection, especially with DBs. And I think, it, you know, for Georgia fans, uh, the last week or – two it's probably you know not just been concerning but there's been a lot of i'm just gonna say like panic you know people were talking about nil well we need to change our you know the way we were approaching this we're not we're losing our competitive edge you know the sky is falling um and i think this was kind of a reminder that maybe the way kirby recruits and selling that pitch of uh, the nfl contract down the road or earning NL at Georgia uh, probably still has a pretty high success rate. Uh, the actual program that Georgia is selling, and as you guys mentioned, the NFL development, um, there's extra, you know, extra zeros in those contracts that you get when you get to the NFL that I, I don't think many DBs are getting in college NIL these days. So I, I think that it was a reminder that you know maybe. They don't have to change a lot. Uh, I think Kirby has adapted to changes in recruiting, all, you know, annually as well as any coach. And uh, I think this overall was just kind of that, I guess, uh, cold water splash that that wake up, for, uh, you know, in the tub and inception when you you know wake up from the dream within a dream to realize that uh, you know the sky has not fallen uh, and you still are fans of an elite program at the University of Georgia. It's a good point. And two, you know, it felt like there was a run there until the Carson back coming back announcement earlier this week where it was like, you know, everything that was happening was not exactly good for Georgia. But again, we're still talking about a, a number one class and adding on to it with a, another five star signee and uh, still still going pretty well for Georgia as hard as these last few weeks might have been. Uh, let's take a quick break, come back, talk a little bit more about this class on the whole, um, some of the guys who stand out to us, and uh, what Kirby Smart had to say about this class a little bit earlier Wednesday. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Guys, jump right back into it and looking at this class on the whole. We talked about 28 signees, three five-stars, 
Ben, when you look at this group and what they're bringing in, what stands out to you the most? What really catches your attention with this 2024 signing class? Probably how complete it is, really. I mean, they really seem to, I don't want to say hit home runs because you don't really know until you, know, you see how they translate. But, you know, they signed a quarterback. I know they were planning to sign two, but they signed a quarterback, which gets them close to that scholarship number that they want to be at. They signed three running backs. They signed six offensive linemen, two more tight ends. The receiver position was probably the thinnest in terms of what you would expect the traditional high school number to be. But I think when you factor in that they're bringing in London Humphreys, who has three years of eligibility left. You look at some of the other portal options that they're taking a look at a receiver that we'll probably get some news on here in the coming days. It makes sense why they probably took a smaller number at wide receiver. But you look at the offensive line again, six offensive linemen, the defensive line, not just the fact that they have numbers along the defensive line, but I think they did a really good job. And this is goes for the running back room too, finding guys that complement each other well so that they can deploy them in different ways in terms of how they want to use them. Obviously a significant boost today, getting KJ Bolden in the secondary. If there was going to be a question mark about this class, it was probably why did Georgia miss on all of its safety targets in this class? Well, now when you look at it and it's DeMello Jones, baller, Ellis Robinson, baller, Andre Evans, baller, KJ Bolden, baller. It's like, you can look at it now and say, well, this defensive back room might be the best group that Georgia has in this signing class, just because the one concern you had is no longer. And then, you know, credit to Glenn Schumann, another three, person linebacker group i don't know how he does it year after year just stacking these linebacker classes together but when you put all of that together there's not anywhere that it feels like georgia missed there's not anywhere that it feels like georgia has to you know figure something out or go heavy in 2025 or even explore the portal immediately right now to fix it except for maybe the wide receiver position but again i think that was by design so i think you know, really, the the reality is when you win two national championships in a row, it's probably a lot easier to look at your board and say, all right, how many guys do we need at each position? Who do we go prioritize and where do we go get it? And you're going to be able to find the numbers that you need to be able to put a class together. I think Georgia did really, really good. I know we say this on signing day when it's the number one class. It's really easy to do that. But I've gotten to know a lot of these guys. I've gotten to see a lot of them play. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of promise in this group for the future. Kip, what about you? What strikes you about this class that Georgia's put together? Well, it's it's definitely strong at the top. You have 11 of the top 100 recruits in the country. Uh, that's pretty strong. Uh, you look back at the history, all-time Georgia recruits uh, since the year 2000. They added two of the top 10 highest-rated recruits in this class. They added the number four guy in Ellis Robinson, who – is one of the most talented cornerbacks in the last couple of cycles to come out. And he was the, he's the number four all-time signee. And at, at number 10, you have Justin Williams, who was just an elite linebacker. Like Ben said, last year's linebacker class, I mean, we just, you know, uh, praised them all offseason, just how incredible it was that he landed that group. You know, the fact that they were returning starters and were still able to get that group. And now uh, you look at this trio and it's like, Okay, is is this trio gonna you know outperform the the one he just signed? It's an incredible group. Um, what stands out is is the line of scrimmage. You know, getting eleven guys on the offensive defensive line. Um, I think it's just not a position that if we're going to talk about NO, it's a position that you know I just don't think <laughs> the salary caps out there allow you to really load up on on linemen. They're just they don't get out there. They're like starting pitchers. You know, if they hit free agency, it's it's too much. There's like two or three of them available, and uh, it's you know everyone's just uh, competing against each other for those guys. I, I, so I think you load up on the line of scrimmage, but you also have to know. So guys take longer to develop. And so that's kind of where Kirby's is probably going to just take numbers every year, knowing that if they leave via the transfer portal because, you know, they don't have that patience, he's just going to bring in five and six every year to try to balance that out. And uh, especially the offensive line, you just look at, you know, when your smallest offensive line signee is six five three twenty. Um, I think, you know, he'll joke to you about these guys being too big and I'm not going to fight him on that because the average size was six, six and a half, 338 pounds among the six offensive linemen. I think, um, you know, uh, one of the guys is, is listed at 300 and, and like 70 pounds. And, you know, I, I think 
he's probably bigger than that. From what I've heard, that they're they're hoping that he comes. I think it's Nair Daniels. I think he's listed at, at three seventy, and Kirby's hoping that he comes in at three seventy. So it's, uh, these are big guys. Uh, these are guys that, regardless of uh, you know their athletic ability, which I'm sure is high, it, it's tougher to get around guys that size. That, that's a skill set that you know it's uh, it's rare to be able to move at all much less be athletic and, and be that size so uh that that's a big part uh, of this signing class and um I, I think that there's going to be a lot of these guys that are, are playing immediate snaps this year and it just it's kind of a you look at overall now um I, I went back and counted and first and second year players there's like 60 guys that are you know fresh freshmen or you know are going to be second year players on this program next year this is going to be a young team um but i think yeah you you gotta really look at the secondary class if you're talking about impact these guys are going to play a lot of snaps uh it's an incredible group um maybe the again player per player it's the most talented secondary group i've probably seen and uh, I, I, I think that room, um, you know, you saw some guys leave via the transfer portal, but I think the guys coming in um, are extremely talented and, and they're ready to play a lot of snaps. And especially at cornerback, you'll get Ellis Robinson. I mean, there's over 350 snaps available next year. You have A.J. Harris leave. Um, you have Nylon Green leave. And we're going to expect Kamari Lasseter head to the draft. Uh, that's a lot of playing time available immediately, and I think he's the kind of guy who's going to come in there with the mentality and the talent level to get a large number of those snaps. Kip hit on a lot of the points that I think I would make as far as what stood out. I mean, the size, that average size on the offensive line is just absurd, and Kirby talked about that a little, and, and Ben and I will talk a little bit about what he had to say in a few minutes. Uh, but saying, you know, that you need to have good weight and, you know, being big and everything, and he talked about – um, Ernest Green, between when he signed and, and, and rolling early, and by the time he got to spring, I think he dropped like 35 pounds. So, you know, it's about being smart with what weight you come in with and what is good weight. Um, again, what Ben talked about, the running backs, I think it's super smart to get three guys with three very different skill sets. I think that's very smart uh, in building that room, especially reloading. After we expect them to lose some of those playmakers off of this team and, and some of their top rushers, Guys, let's look at this class, and I'm going to put you guys on the spot. I'll start with you, Ben. Who is somebody that really, really interests you? And, you know, not so much one of these five-star guys, but a- another guy in this class that, you know, may not be the high-profile signing, not the guy everybody's talking about right now, but that you're really excited about and is a guy that you're going to be paying attention to once he gets to Georgia. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say I'm going to have two because I wanted to bring this up earlier when you're talking about the class. It sticks out to me that everyone talking you know, is the number one class. Everyone talks about how Georgia gets all these five stars. And I think they've got like eight, three stars maybe in the 24 seven sports rankings right now. So there's definitely an evaluation that's going on at Georgia that is you know much more important, I guess, than they would think that our rankings are. Um, the two guys, Quintavious Johnson. So he is. He's been recruited as an edge rusher. His primary point of contact was Chideruzo Deribe, the outside linebackers coach. That's how they view him. Kip brought it up today that he measured, what was it, 6'4", 255, I think is what it was, Kip. So this is a guy that's already coming in. You you think three-star edge rusher. You think, all right, slim body, needs to develop, needs to get into strength and conditioning program to be ready in a few years. That is not the type of three-star that Quintavious Johnson is just straight up. This is a guy who is physically ready to play already. And I've seen him play two or three times this season when I wasn't over at Buford games, I found myself at a lot of maze games and he's a freak athlete. I mean, he, I've talked about him a bunch before, but he plays quarterback. His high school head coach was this guy that was the offensive coordinator for Cam Newton. He saw a lot of similar ways that he tried to deploy him at quarterback. He's not going to play quarterback at the next level, but the idea that he has that skill set is really important to Kirby. I mean, Kirby mentioned today how many multi-sport athletes that they have, how many guys that they have that do different things on the football field. Quintavious Johnson is exactly that. They asked him a lot of times to split out and cover guys in space in the slot, you know, drop back and coverage. I think Georgia is going to have a lot of options with how they use him. And 
I think it'll be interesting to watch what that progress looks like for him. I've compared him, and you all know that I stay away from player comps, but I compare him a little bit to Gabe Harris from the last cycle because they have similar builds. I think they're just bigger than people expect them to be. And when you get in the system, you get in the weight room, do you have the ability to become that big end that Kirby was talking about, Justin Green and Joseph Jonah Ajanye being, again, and Joseph Jonah Ajanye is a guy that I think could also do the same thing and develop inside just depending on how he progresses as well so Quatavius Johnson is a guy people have asked me a bunch like they've used the word project and developmental ad and all these things it's like I just don't think those terms apply to Quatavius Johnson at least in terms of what I've seen from him I think he's someone I don't know that'll play right away because it's a deep room but someone that I think could could certainly have an impact Um, the other guy I want to mention is Marcus Harrison and the reason that he intrigues me is because I don't think anybody knows hardly anything about him I mean he's from just outside of Buffalo. He committed in the middle of the night, basically. He was the only person in the entire class that I wasn't able to track down when he was planning on having his signing ceremony, which is not any kind of criticism towards him. He just handles his business. That's what he does. I've said it before. Georgia had, he had one bye week that he would have been able to get down to Georgia. He could have come for a Georgia home game that weekend. It was a big star Saturday weekend. He just wanted to go hunting with some family that were in town that he hadn't seen in a while. That's the kind of guy that he is. But when you go watch his tape, this guy's six foot eight, 330 pounds. It doesn't look like he has a bad pound on his body. I mean, the guy, you you wonder, I'm sitting here wondering how in the hell did Kirby Smart and Stacey Searles find this guy? Because nobody talks about him. He's a three-star. He doesn't, he doesn't talk to any media. Nobody's covering him. Nobody sees him, anything. And then all of a sudden, just one random morning at 6.50 a.m., he's committing to Georgia. And when I watch his film, for starters, their jerseys look like 49ers jerseys. Like, I feel like I'm watching Trent Williams play football. And he is just a – he looks so special. But I also realize – that he's playing very small private school ball up in, in New York. He's not going to be a mid-year enrollee. He's going to enroll in the summer. That probably sets him back a little bit as well. But I think when he gets in to the system and Georgia gets its hands on him, the potential that he has is really through the roof. So I'm really fascinated. It might be two years from now, it might be three years from now, but I'm really fascinated to see what Marcus Harrison can really become. Kip, what about you? Who are some of the guys that uh, you think uh, you know may not be the the top rated guys in the in this class, uh, but that could make a difference when it's all said and done? Listen, I'm gonna be honest. I thought I was going first because uh, Ben went first last time. So the two guys he mentioned were exactly the guys I was gonna talk about. You know what? I can pivot here. Uh, I think Colton Heimrich. If if you're Todd Hartling, you're recruiting a tight end. Uh, you're probably doing something right in your life. If 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 he's after you if he takes your commitment um you're probably you probably don't suck and uh i talked about earlier about the the heights and weights of some of the guys listed on the georgia website which is always interesting because at 24 7 sports we're always trying to get verified info and then you know immediately uh today they're they're now on the georgia roster and sometimes the numbers you know uh, match up and you know sometimes they're they're very different and so I, I think with Colton uh, he's listed at 6'4 220 and I, I think it is kind of interesting because um, you know whenever he committed to Georgia I, I, I checked in and I was told that um, you know he's already at 235 and this was uh, I think in May whenever I checked in on him and, uh, you know, a lot of comparisons to loss and lucky, a guy that isn't worried about, you know, where he's ranked is just out there to, you know, to do whatever it takes to help his team. Um, but I was told he's already bigger than loss and lucky was at the same stage. And that's a guy that if he wasn't injured, uh, you know, would have probably gotten a little bit more playing time. Uh, Georgia loved him what they've seen from him so far. And I think that Todd Hartley's excited about, you know, his other tight end that he got in this class, knowing that Jaden Riddell is, you know, an absolute freak. And, um, you know, there's always going to be that legacy of tight ends at Georgia. And you're now going to look and try to compare people to Brock Bowers. And, you know, it's impossible. But, you know, Jaden Riddell is probably uh, the closest kind of guy that checks those boxes to kind of fill that role. But you just really do not want to forget about Colton Hyrum just because I think he's the type that's going to go in there and play a really important role for Georgia. And, you know, continuing on that, just guys not to count out, uh, you just got to go with Sokovi White. He wants you to count him out. 
I mean, everyone's been counting him out. Uh, he knows exactly how big he is. Uh, you know, I don't th- you think there's a day that goes by he doesn't wake up and go, well, you know, I'm, I'm not 5'10 today. You know, uh, I haven't gotten any taller. I haven't had any growth spurts. Uh, but then Friday rolls around, and the dude just puts up numbers every single week. Just goes out there, or if it's in camp, you know, if it's in one-on-ones, he just goes out there and, and beats his man every single time. And that's the kind of mentality, you know, they'll find a role for you at Georgia. If, if you have that kind of mentality, uh, he's, he's the type that's probably just been eaten off the floor from day one. And I, I think that's exactly what, what Kirby wants, a guy that just goes out there and, and has almost 100 catches his senior year for 1,400 yards and 15 touchdowns. And those are ridiculous numbers. Um, he's a guy that probably – should have been talked about more throughout the process. Uh, his ranking never changed, even though, again, he just had production, uh, the best production you can absolutely want from a wide receiver. Um, but he he didn't have a three- or four-inch growth spurt, so he is where he is. And so he'll go to Georgia and um, just make a ton of plays. Um, he's exactly the skill set you want in the modern offense. Uh, you want to get guys out in space. That's all he's going to do. He's just going to get out in space, or he's going to he's going to he's going to make guys miss. He's going to get in, open in transition, and he's going to beat coverage. And yeah, I mean, we're talking about wide receivers, um, Georgia fans. That's what they want. You know, they want as many big time wideouts as they can get. And Kobe White did not get that kind of coverage, and so now he would go to Georgia with the the chip on his shoulder that Kirby Smart hopes every player has. I don't think complacency would be an issue with him, and I think we'll be talking about him a lot the next three or four years. The benefit of going last means you guys are pretty much taking everybody, I would have said. Uh, Quintavia Johnson was big ones. To Kobe White, I had reached out to his high school coach just to get some of his numbers, and uh, he said that he was pretty sure he led all of Georgia's classifications in receiving yards this past season. I mean, you know, it's not uh, the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. I think we're going to see that with Kobe White. Um, other guy I would mention, it kind of goes off of something that Kip uh, had said with Colton Heinrich, uh, Nasir Johnson, defensive lineman. You know, Kip, Kip went through, and I'll let, after I say this, Ben, you can chime in. Uh, ben, uh, Ben, Kip mentioned, you know, the 24 seven measurements for Nasir Johnson, 6'4", 300. Uh, Georgia's got him at 6'6", 335, which is pretty significantly different. You know, Georgia has been looking for some help when it comes to the defensive line. I think you look at what he can bring to the table, what he is capable of doing. Again, he may not do it right away. But I think he's got a chance to be really, really special. Ben, uh, what you seem very, uh, you seem to like that pick quite a bit. Yeah, I, I can't believe I blanked on that one because there were really two guys, two defensive linemen at least this recruiting cycle that I, when I met them in person for the first time, I said, "Whoa, this was not the human being I was expecting." L.J. McCray was one of them. He ended up signing with Florida. I, well, I think he signed with Florida today. I'm not 100% sure if he's finalized that or not, but he was one. Nasir Johnson was the other. And at the time that I met Nasir Johnson, I was actually in his his head coach's office at Dublin. We were in his office just sitting down talking. I was waiting on him to walk in. I'd never met him before. And he walks through the door and I was shocked. I was like, whoa, because at that point, you know, he'd been committed to Florida for a while. It didn't feel like Georgia had been recruiting him as heavily as maybe they had some other interior defense blindmen. And when I saw him, I immediately said, goodness gracious, this guy's just so much bigger than I expected him to be for a defensive lineman that can do backflips and back handsprings and all sorts of things. Um, I went down a few weeks later to watch him play when his team played DeMello Jones in the last game of the regular season when Dublin played in Swainsboro. And in a jersey, I mean, I, he, I was just shocked honestly at just the sheer size of Nasir Johnson and it kind of made me wonder and you know maybe Georgia had been recruiting him a little bit more than the, than it had been led on throughout the process but it kind of made me wonder like what what took Georgia so long on this one because he's someone that you see and again I think his body has seen a significant development since the beginning of the year I think at one point early beginning of this year he might have been like 295 pounds something like that so I think he's a different defensive lineman now than he was back then but yeah that's a that's a great pick because he's definitely 
there's a few defensive linemen like this in this class. I think Quintavious Johnson's like that. I think Joseph Jonah Ajanye is definitely like that. I haven't unfortunately seen Jordan Thomas in person, but everything that I've heard about him would lead me to believe that he's probably like that as well, where when you get around them, you're just like, good, this is a Georgia defensive lineman through and through when you look at them. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how these guys develop. Obviously, several of them are already in Athens going through bowl practices. And we'll kind of take that as a segue to talk about what Kirby Smart had to say to the media once these guys were all signed. Ben and I were there. We had a chance to listen to Kirby. We hit already on some of the stuff he talked about. He was asked about Ryan Pugliese, talked about the receivers that they've added, included London Humphreys from Vanderbilt. Wanted to share this. I asked Kirby what his impressions were early on on these December enrollees. And the first two things he said were, they're lost, they're overwhelmed. <laughs> he did add, though, that, you know, they're working really hard, you know, they're trying through it. And the biggest point to what Kirby said was, they're going through all this, but they won't be doing that in the spring. They're going to get such a big head start. And I think you're going to see that by the time we get to the football season, that head start's really, really going to help. Uh, ben, with everything else I was talking about, did anything stand out to you about what Kirby had to say looking at this class and uh, looking at really even this entire team as they gear up for the Orange Bowl? Well, I think, you know, generally speaking, he seemed to be in a pretty positive mood. He said in the in the, in the introduction, I feel like I'm always excited this time of year. Like if you go back and you rewind all the all these press conferences we've done, I feel like they're sort of the same because I'm always in a good mood. He did feel like he was in a good mood, and I think part of that is because – you're sweating these things to Kip's point. Yeah. You had 27 guys committed, but he mentioned it in his press conference. Justin Williams was trying to get picked off left and right. We know Ellis Robinson was trying to get picked off by Miami and a couple other places as well. And so you're having to fight these things out. And when they sign and they're in, and you know that you don't have to worry about explaining to KJ Bolden, why you think you're the best fit anymore. There's probably a little bit of relaxation and peace. So I think you felt that from Kirby a little bit. I asked maybe a a I framed it stupidly in terms of what I was trying to get at, but Kit mentioned this earlier too, out of state versus in state. I thought it was a very interesting that, you know, Kirby mentioned it right off the jump. They signed four or five guys that were number one players in their state. And I think when you look at this class, what's interesting is Georgia did not clean up in the state of Georgia. And, you know, I sort I asked the question, like, was that by design? And he sort of went around saying, it's never by design to go out of the state of Georgia. He would create a class exclusively through the state of Georgia. He could because it would probably, you know, satisfy all of the high school coaches in the state if, if he did that. But he realizes that's not realistic because sometimes the best linebacker in the country is in Texas or the best cornerback in the country is down at IMG Academy or one of the best running backs in the country is at modern day high school. And so, because of that, Georgia broke out of state, maybe a little bit more than they normally would this cycle. I think it's just that's how it played out. Georgia wants to recruit the best players. A lot of times, the best football players in the country are in the state of Georgia. At certain positions, sometimes you have to break away from that. Georgia did that to an extent. But I still think when you look at some of the guys that we've mentioned as you know, the guys that intrigue us, Quintavious Johnson, Nasir, jo Nasir Johnson, DeMello Jones is a guy that we haven't even mentioned. And I think he might be the best pure football player in this entire class. Sokovi White. I mean, there's a lot. KJ Bolden now obviously changes things a little bit in terms of how the view within the state of Georgia probably was. But Georgia did well in the state of Georgia with the guys that they viewed as Georgia caliber football players. When they maybe felt that slipped a little bit or they missed on a guy here or there. That's when they went out of the state. That's when they landed the guys that they did in this class. So, you know, I, I find it interesting, the approach. I just don't know that necessarily the way that it was approached this cycle is any indication whatsoever of how it's going to be approached next cycle. Because, for instance, you, know, you look at the defensive line front seven class in the 2025 class in the state of Georgia, and Georgia would be crazy to be looking elsewhere because of how talented it is in the state. So sometimes it just works out that way. Always helps out with the amount of talent in the state, and uh, you know they get to pick a whole lot of them, and they've had the success now where they have no problem leaving the state and adding talent on top of it. I did want to mention as well, Kirby. Thought he had some really interesting comments on the transfer portal. I'll probably have a story uh, on Thursday about this, talking about seeing guys go in the portal, and you know he really harped on guys. The the portal is a good thing. You know, if you've been at a program for three or four years, you're not getting to play. It's a good opportunity to leave go elsewhere but he really harped on he really has more concern when you see a guy that leaves after their first year and he's like you know you kind of didn't give it a, a fair shake you know you didn't really 
uh, put in and, and have a chance to see how it could play out for you. And Georgia had a few of those guys in this cycle decide uh, to leave after one year. But I thought it was some really candid points from Kirby who, you know, they've gone in the portal, but they've been hurt quite a bit by the portal too. I mean, they've lost some pretty good players. And uh, I thought that was some pretty good quotes. I would tell guys uh, and gals to keep an eye out for that, uh, to see that story uh, probably on Thursday. Uh, all right, before we wrap this up, uh, Kip, I'll start with you and then Ben, feel free to chime in. Uh, final thoughts on this class, how everything's come together. Uh, any parting thoughts when you look at what Georgia did in this cycle? I mean, Kirby always manages the numbers. It just, uh, I looked at it right now and I'm, I'm wondering like, you know, how are they going to make everything work? Everyone's kind of looking at the portal departures. We're trying to tell everyone this is just straight math. This has to happen. You know, I think they're at like, uh, you know, the ad KJ Bolton. So I think they're at 82 right now, but we're expecting more transfer portal additions. You know, we're keeping an eye out on, you know, Miami transfer wide receiver Colby Young, South Carolina defensive line transfer Xavier McLeod, uh, Florida running back transfer Trevor Etienne. I mean, these are guys that big time additions if Georgia's able to get those guys. Um, and if they do get all three of those guys, um, then they're they're going to be, you know, set at, at the 85. And if they get anybody else, probably going to have to they're going to need another departure. So I just want to let everyone know that the next time you get that notification, that text notification uh, from us that, you know, Georgia has another transfer portal uh, departure. Well, it probably had to happen. It's just the way the way it is right now. But I just think you look at this roster and like I said, it is going to be really young, um, but the talent level, just it, it, it still seems impressive. And I'd still you have to remind yourself that. That is where Kirby Smart wants to build his program. He uh, he wants to build through high school and, you know, add four or five guys in the portal when needed. But um, we've seen him not add a single guy in the portal before. The only way you can do that is is if you're recruiting at an elite level. And this is just kind of the, the, the credit to him and his staff. He makes sure he always has guys that are out there and, and, and always coming through, always establishing relationships. And I just think from top to bottom, this is uh, – a really impressive group, obviously number one in the country, but just, uh, I mean, we could just, we, there's, there's still guys we haven't even talked about, you know, when you don't talk about, uh, uh, you know, Chris Jones and Andre Evans, uh, uh, you know, Marquez Easley. Um, we, you know, we hadn't really mentioned Ryan Pugliese because we talked about him before, but you know, he's a pretty good quarterback. And so, uh, obviously if you're able to not talk about a quarterback for, uh, 45 minutes of a signing day podcast, whether it's one that decommitted or one that stayed with his commitment, I, I think it just goes to show this is a loaded group. And, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of talent headed to Athens. A lot of these guys are already in Athens, you know, getting in their bowl practice and and looking like uh, deer in the headlights out there. But, you know, a couple of guys are I, probably holding their own. And these guys, we're going to see these guys next fall. Like Joseph uh, Jonah Jongye, I think – He's the next great defensive lineman in Georgia. I think he's that guy. When we're talking about that 2021 defense, you know, all the guys in the first round, uh, I mean, he's that guy that already checks those you know, boxes physically and athletically of, of a guy that can really make a big impact to Georgia. Ben, how about you? Uh, final thoughts uh, on how this class has come together? Well, it didn't occur to me. Brett Hunter in the comment section actually made a comment earlier saying, is this, the, or saying this is the biggest flip since George Pickens. And it didn't occur to me that, you know, I obviously took a four year hiatus after I was covering Auburn. And the last signing day that I covered was the signing day when George Pickens flipped from Auburn to Georgia. So I don't want to write any checks that I can't cash, but George Pickens 2019, KJ Bolden 2020. Three, we'll see what happens in 2024, but uh, I, I guess big signing day sort of unexpected flips are uh, are to be to be expected. But I agree with everything that Kip said. Um, you know, this signing class, when you can go as long as we did in this podcast without really mentioning Ryan Puglisi, even though I know we talked about it in the last episode, it just tells you how talented this is. So many classes and I'm not naming any names of schools potentially like in Gainesville, Florida, they tie so much of the weight of their recruiting class to the quarterback position. And I think what Georgia has proven more than anyone over the last few years, as good as I feel like Stetson Bennett turned out to be, you don't 
win national championships by recruiting the quarterbacks. You need, you need to have good quarterbacks. No, good quarterback play is going to win you national championships. I'm not denying that, but to be in position to do that, you've got to bolster the trenches like Georgia did sign an 11 guys. You've got to have elite defensive backs on the back end there. And Georgia did a really, really good job of that. So I think, just top to bottom, there's a reason this Georgia class is the number one class. Sometimes I think you look at the number one class and you say, uh, maybe it's inflated a little bit here, or maybe inflated a little bit there. We've mentioned it already, all the three-star guys that, you know, you you bump Stokovi White up, you bump Marcus Harrison up, you bump Quint- Quintavious Johnson up, and you're looking at maybe one of the best, you know, highest rated classes ever or the highest rated class ever if those, a couple of those things are just ticked up that direction. So the depth that Georgia has here is really what impresses me. And, um, you know, I, I, again, you never know how these things are going to play out, but of the guys that I've gotten to know, I think Georgia was probably pretty strategic with character decisions that they made during this cycle as well. Obviously some of the off season narrative, things like that, I think probably paid it played into how they evaluated guys intangibles off the field, things like that. And, you know, I think they have a really, really good group in place this year. Thank you, Sid, on my thoughts. I mean, they, they've just covered so much ground as far as so many different positions. And even the guys, you know, again, a lot of those guys that we named that were like, oh, they're kind of unheralded, quote unquote, compared to some of those five stars. A lot of teams would kill for some of that talent because it is super, super impressive. I wanted to mention one of the guys in the comments, uh, Mike Brown on YouTube had commented a few different times. And uh, sorry, guys, for writing so much, but I haven't been this excited about a class in a long time. Mike, we get it because this was a very, very strong class for Georgia. A lot of to be excited and uh, a lot of promise going into the spring. And it's going to be super fascinating to see how these guys settle in and what we're able to do once these guys really get started as true freshmen. We're going to wrap up the episode there. I want to appreciate Yeah, go ahead and uh, um, want to make sure and thank Kip and thank, for, thank Ben for popping on after a very long day. We've been at it for quite a while. Uh, but uh, appreciate them. Appreciate everyone tuning in live. Appreciate everyone who's listening to this after the fact. I uh, want to make sure and tell everybody, go to Dogs 24-7. We have stories on every single guy who signed with Georgia, 28 stories, all kinds of live updates. There will be stories in the days to come uh, about K.J. Bolden, about several different guys, about what Smart had to stay, and a few stories as well from a few of the players, current players, that we had a chance to talk to on Wednesday as well. Uh, also, go to Dogs 47 on YouTube. Check out the Kirby Smart press conferences, player press conferences, these podcast episodes, My Quiet press conferences, Georgia men's basketball interviews as well. So, for Kip Adams and Ben Wolk, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.